Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hi everybody, this is Doc And this is Jukebox And we're talking to you from the parking lot of a TGIF Because we're excited about June 3rd Alone, Season 8 coming out Your favorite podcast hosts are back with your favorite show Yes, you might know us from the John Freakin' Muir Pod, but we also have a, another podcast called Solitude, and it is the companion podcast to the hit survival uh, adventure series on the History Channel alone. Strap in, get comfortable, be prepared as we break down each episode every week, provide our expert analysis, and make some predictions about who we think is going to take the ultimate prize. losing precious days. I am degenerating into a machine for making money. I am learning nothing in this trivial world of men. I must break away and get out into the mountains to learn the news. John Muir. There's, there was actually a couple, I think two different sections where we were doing class five. And if you don't have climbing experience and you're carrying a backpack, that can make you a little bit nervous. Not too bad, but you have some exposure. There's points where like, if you slipped... If you weren't holding on tight enough to the rock, you could fall like 50 feet. I remember I was pulling up Steve. Steve's not a fan of heights. And uh, yeah, I remember holding his hand and he's looking at me. He's like, don't let go, man. Don't let go. I'm like holding his hand. I'm like, you're fine. You'll be okay. And I'm looking behind him. There's like 50 feet of exposure. I'm Doc. And this is the John freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. 
Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, whom I am really excited about. I have a feeling many of you have heard of him or his films from your deep dives into adventure media and preparing for your hikes. I first saw one of his films on YouTube a couple of years ago, and I immediately felt inadequate as I thought about the rough hiking videos I put together and posted. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod, Chris Smead of Outmersive Films. Hello, how's it going? Thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. And I, I, uh, I really mean it when, you know, I, I came back from my hikes with all kinds of pictures and footage and I tried to put something together and put it on YouTube. And I was, I was pretty happy about it. I was showing all my family and, and friends and trying to convey to them the, the majesty of the Sierras. And uh, then I watched one of your videos and felt really, really humbled. <laughs> oh, thank you. You should actually feel good about yourself because that means that you didn't spend too much time in front of a screen editing. That's what, that's what it comes down to is an unhe- unhealthy amount of screen time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, you have spent a considerable amount of time out in the wild as well. Have you picked up a trail name while you've been out there? I have, but I'm told it doesn't count. But my trail name is Awesome. A-W-E-S-H-U-M. Awesome. Like, get it? Like, Awesome, but awesome. Awesome. I thought it was cool. Um, apparently, it doesn't count because I gave it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, you're supposed to get your name from somebody else, and I just kind of stick with that. You know, I, I've got probably like another dozen trail names that other people have given me, but uh, I like I like awesome. I think it sounds cooler. Okay, and how did you come up with awesome? Uh, it just sounds good. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got I've got a couple kids, and when they were little, I remember when they would say awesome, they would say like awesome, and you know, I just kind of picked it up and it turned into awesome got it so. got it so we will go back and forth between trail names and and chris but i'll try and stick to the trail name awesome cool <laughs> all right hey have you listened to the podcast before i uh i have not yet <laughs> Sorry. that's okay that's okay i only asked because i want to make sure that you are familiar with a regular segment we have called the pro tip insight of the week and that is towards the end of the episode i will turn to you and say awesome what is your pro tip inside of the week? What can you share with our listeners? What, what bit of wisdom to make their next outdoor experience even better? So just don't want to catch you off guard. Make sure that you're aware, aware and ready for that. Okay, cool. I'll be, uh, I'll be thinking about that. <laughs> okay. And then another thing that we like to talk about on the pod is gear. And I, I took a little cruise through your website uh, leading up to this podcast. And I know that on your website, you've got, you've got a list, a comprehensive list of your gear and food and everything else. And so that's pretty impressive. Um, so we have a, a segment we call, what is the, the must bring piece of gear? And it goes like this. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a specific brand for that piece of gear, even better. So, Asham, what, uh, what do you have to bring on your multi-day hikes? Oh, man. I'm, I'm going to say, I mean, as an outdoor filmmaker, I'm supposed to say my camera. But if somebody else is packing my bag, I, you know, I wouldn't want them to hurt my camera or something. So, <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I would have to say my Z-Pax Plexamid. It's a, uh, yeah, 15, a 15 ounce tent. And like, you know, some people are like super tough and they can just like hike, they can camp in the outdoors without a tent and just like be under a tarp. But I'm so terrified of bugs that I can't do that. So like having a fully enclosed shelter 
and also having it be lightweight at 15 ounces, 15.3 ounces or whatever it is, is, uh, yeah, that, 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 that sells me pretty good. So yeah, I would say the Z-Pax Fleximid. Nice. I saw that on your list and I'm very envious. Uh, we all know that as the quality and the, as the quality goes up and the weight goes down, the price goes up. And so does. the Plexamid is just hanging out there right above my, my price range. And so uh, I make do with a tarp, but again, like you, I uh, am not a big fan of the bugs. And so I also bring a bivy. So it's a tarp and a bivy for me to, yeah. to stay out of there, but try and stay lightweight. <laughs> that works. Yeah. When the pandemic started, I know that Z-Packs took a little bit of a hit and I have a lot of friends over there, obviously. And so I kind of justified the upgrade to Plexmith. Then I'm like, I'm helping my friends, you know, I'll, I'll buy the tent now. <laughs> and really it was just me, you know, trying to justify spending way too much money on a tent, but it's awesome. It's totally worth it. And I'm going to get a lot of use out of it. So nice. I'm happy to have it. Very good. What is your base weight when you go out on say the John Muir trail? I am one of the few ultralight backpackers that does not actually factor in my base weight into any equation, really. I, 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 I focus on overall weight because in the end, I'm carrying my weight, right? right. I, I don't know my base weight. I, I go as light as possible, and it's always changing depending on the season. So I just, eh, it's too much to worry about. I just focus on overall weight. So I, I thought I was not that ultralight because a lot of my trips were between 30 and 40 pounds, mm -hmm. but then finally i mean because i was i was bringing camera gear to do to do these films every single trip and then at some point i did a trip without camera gear and i was like super lightweight i was i want to say for five days i was like 19 pounds with food and water carrying like two liters of water or something so i'm pretty darn ultralight i guess i didn't even realize it because you have the heavy pack and eventually you give up stuff over the years but i it, I never got those benefits because I, I would always add like, you know, another lens or whatever. And I would make a sacrifice big. Okay. I don't need a water bladder anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to forego the water bladder to carry this extra lens or I'll ditch camp shoes, which I haven't bought in a decade, but I'll, any, any little luxury I can give up to make more room for camera gear I was doing. Mm -hmm. And eventually I, I was, but I was still maintaining that 30 to 40 pounds depending on the trip. And I just didn't even realize my back was getting lighter. But, you know, like I said, I did that trip without it. And I was super, super ultralight. So I guess if I had to guess my base weight, probably I don't know, nine, eight, nine pounds, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. I'm guessing here. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And the question I always ask to determine how ultralight you are, are you drilling holes in your toothbrush? Even more hardcore. I'm, I'm calling it hardcore just to justify it. But uh, I don't bring a toothbrush. Oh. Yeah. But, well, what I do, I bring those little wisp thingies. You know, have you seen those little Colgate wisp, whatever things, these tiny little plasticky toothbrush things? And I'll use one like every day or every other day. That's kind of, that's kind of gross now that I say it out loud. Nobody's ever asked me that, but there you go. <laughs> My breath isn't great out there, but you know, I'm not exactly making out with people out there. So that's so, right. That's right. Who are you trying to impress? Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit and talk about your background, kind of where you grew up and uh, your hobbies and sports growing up. And, and was the outdoor experience part of your childhood? How did you get involved in the outdoors? Uh, so I guess I'll start from the beginning. There. I, I live in San Jose, California, just Silicon, typical Silicon Valley town. Um, a lot of tech workers around here. I did tech for 20 years or so before getting into this whole crazy filmmaking endeavor. Um, you know, I, I grew up around here. I, there's some hills nearby and I did a lot of hiking 
probably five days a week I was hiking since junior high, but nothing serious. It was like, there was like a four mile loop that me and my friends in junior high used to always do. And I just liked hiking a lot. It was just kind of part of my normal routine. And it just, I don't know, it's weird to imagine not doing it. So backpacking was the the next logical evolution of that. And yeah, I got into that when I was like 23 and um, yeah, kind of caught the bug. And now I'm, how old am I now? 41. I'm 41 getting up there. Hey, but, I, remember, uh, <laughs> I remember 41. That was, that was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to notice a lot more gray hairs coming in and that's kind of getting to me, you know, but oh, well, it happens. Very good. Now it's a, it, it's a jump from just day hiking or going camping to this whole concept of, of backpacking and putting everything on your back and being out there for, for days on end and even becoming you know aware of longer trails like the, the John Muir Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. Do you have a specific recollection of, of when that entered your consciousness? Um, it started, yeah, like I said, I was about 23 years old. So 2003-ish. Something like that. <laughs> um, it, you know, I, we started camping. It's funny. There was, there was a number of years in my life where I just didn't do a whole lot of any outdoors things. I didn't go camping very often. I would do like rough day hikes and that was about it. But uh, I mean, short day hikes, but that was about it. And then when I was like 23 or 24, 23, I think, um, my friend recommended going backpacking and I'm like, sure, sounds fun to me. And then I did it and I just got really into it. It just seemed to set, it seemed to check all the boxes that of things that I like, you know, it was the outdoors. It was fun. It was like, uh, the planning part is super fun. And when you're out there, it's fun. And then when you come back home, it's fun, right? Cause you know, you get to come home to real food and a bed and stuff like that. And there's a technical component too, that I've always been kind of technical in nature, I guess. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of technical stuff involved with backpacking, you know, bringing the, the most hardcore backpackers know about all the different types of fabrics, like dynamic composite fabric versus, you know, silk nylon and all these other things. Right. And uh, that, you know, just kind of resonated well with me and, yeah. Yeah. A trend that I've noticed as I've talked to people and even in my own life, um, I've noticed that people who are through hikers or backpackers, they, they are a, an obsessive uh, bunch of folks. They, they kind of get down into the details. They obsess on the planning. They obsess on the gear. Uh, they obsess on here, here are my campsites. I mean, there's, there's a lot of planning involved and, and this is just tailor made to that type of personality. You got, do you kind of fit into that? Yeah, I would, I would say so. That you know, that's funny. I've never heard it put that way, but that makes a ton of sense because you can't just be like, oh, on a whim, I'm just going to go backpacking. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to plan. I'm just going to do it. You can't, that, that's going to limit you, right? You, you can't go very far. You know, like you need to obsessively plan about like, what am I going to eat? How am I going to save weight? And you need to think about all your daily activities. What's the weather going to be like? What if it hails? What if it snows? What if it's super hot? I mean, all those different types of variables you need to constantly think about and then plan for. And if you're not that weird obsessive type, <laughs> uh, then, you know, that would, that would hurt you, I guess, out there. So, yeah, I guess I do fall into that. I definitely fall into that, that category. Especially Borderline with, OCD. <laughs> especially with the amount of, of screen time with the editing. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of weird like that. Like, most people, I think, are into the outdoors for the outdoors. and They, they spend their time out there. And I, I do that, but then I have this other weird side of me that's like indoors in front of a laptop all the time, editing and editing and editing and editing. And it's a very uh, strange, like, 
you know, paradox, I guess it's, it's a weird contradiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I know you are married and you have, you have some kids. I do. Yeah. And I think I saw on one of your videos, I think it was the Ray Lakes one that your, your wife accompanied you on that trip. That was the last trip that so I did, that was a, an earlier project I did. I think that was like early. When did I do that? 2017? I think Something so. Like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that was the last trip my wife did with me. That terrified her. You know, in in that film, you know, you see her climbing to the top of Glen Pass when it was all icy and snowy, which was right. no, no big deal for me. But if you're not used to that, I mean, using an ice axe and crampons, apparently that's pretty intimidating for people who are not used to that. And uh, yeah, that was the last time she went. I edited that film a lot. Like she was like freaking out. She was really not happy about that situation. So my, my question was going to be, is, is, is she a through hiker? Does she continue to go on excursions with you? I think, I think you answered that question. No, no, no. She's definitely not a through hiker. She, she tolerates me. She, 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 uh, entertains, she, she lets me do it. And she on rare occasion in the past has done it with me, but she's definitely not really into it. I've I've been into climbing a lot lately and she's kind of doing that with me, but not really. That freaks her out too. So Mm -hmm. we're we're definitely Go for what kind it. of climbing? What kind of climbing? Uh, rock climbing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I like trad climbing a lot. I don't know if your listeners are really into that kind of stuff, but, but yeah, you know, traditional climbing where you're, you know, climbing up and dragging the rope with you and then placing cams and nuts in the wall and clipping in along the way and that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. I like, it's, it's very technical in nature as well. So I like that. It's fun, a little bit more adventurous than backpacking because if you fall, it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And do you have crash pads or is that, that that's, that's typically with bouldering, right? The crash pads. Uh, I do have a crash pad and I do boulder a little bit, but uh, yeah, my real passion is definitely like climbing and, and more multi-pitch type stuff. So we're going pretty high up. My, my climbing partner and I will, I mean, we're not doing anything super crazy yet, but we're, we've done a couple of multi-pitch routes. So yeah, so a couple hundred feet in the air, that kind of stuff. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of exposure. Yeah. It, I've noticed after a while, you just don't even notice it though. It's, it's, yeah. I, I don't worry about like falling a couple hundred feet. I worry about like, cause you're on a rope, right? right. And if you fall, you'll, you'll, you'll fall a little bit. When you're on top rope, it will just kind of hang there. But when you're lead climbing with like traditional gear placed on the wall, if you fall and you're above that last piece of protection, you will whip a little bit. And I did take a 20 foot whipper when I was in uh, Moab. No, sorry. I was in Arches. Yeah, I was in Arches, uh, Owl Rock. And uh, I took a 20 foot whipper off of that. And I did get a little banged up a little uh, few, actually the biggest bruise of my life. <laughs> I'm trying to downplay it. No, it, it hurt. <laughs> I got a really big <laughs> bruise, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's exposure, but really I don't worry about falling the couple hundred feet. I worry about just like hitting a ledge, you know, cause you're on a rope. So the, you know, the rope's going to catch you, but if there's like a ledge, like 20 feet below you and you fall and you hit that before the rope catches you, then, then you're in trouble. And in yeah. the last, you know, in this situation in arches, when I fell, I'm sorry. Um, when I, when I whipped, I ended up smashing against the side of a, a tower and I was, I was totally okay. It was, I felt the best way that I could have fallen, but kind of gets you thinking I, I was stupid. I wasn't wearing a helmet at the time. And had that been my head that impacted the side of the, this tower versus my, my thigh, it, it could have been a very different story. I might not be here right now. Right. So yeah, kind of makes you, makes you think a little bit, but yeah, yeah. it's fun. That, keeps it adventurous. That is another hobby that has so many offshoots. I mean, there are so many different types of climbing. You've got bouldering, you've got your traditional climbing, you've got your, uh, you know, free solo, free soloing. Um, the Alex Honnold kind of stuff. 
Uh, and I also, I, I came, I, I came across this video on YouTube called wide boys. Have you seen that? I have. And in fact, uh, one of the wide boys, uh, Pete Whitaker, I've read his book. That dude is, yeah, those, those people are very, very talented people. Huge. They're known for their crack climbing and yes. for being able to, yeah, and I, I love crack climbing too, but like when it's like a, like a thinner crack, you know, you could jam your hand in there or your fist in there and you make a fist and then that grips you, right? And it works really right. well. But those guys do stuff where it's like a foot wide, where it's weird. Yes. And you can't get, you can't get a fist in there. You can't like, you have to do these strange weird moves of like stacking fists or like trying to cram an arm in there in a weird way to pull yourself up. It's a very painful masochistic way to climb and you have to be a little crazy to do it. And they're crazy and they're very skilled and talented at that. And yeah, I, I envy their, their skill set. I wish I could do that. I could not turn away. It was like, it was like watching a, a train accident. Uh, you, you can't pull away. You're watching this. I was fascinated. And the, the title wide boys is because these guys are, are, are climbing uh, off width crack climbing. Mm -hmm. and so these are the wider cracks. Like you were just describing. You can't, you, it's not just getting your fingers in there, your hand in there. It's, it's jamming a, an arm in there or a, uh, an entire thigh in there to, to get purchase and traction and continue the climb. It was, it was incredible. It really is. It's a totally, it, it's funny. I, I think that climbing is actually natural progression to backpacking. Yeah. To me, it's almost weird that you have climbers that may not have a backpacking background too, because it's the whole dirt bag existence. You know, they call it dirt bagging, you know, being like a dirt bagger, climbing mm -hmm. and living in the dirt and whatever. As a backpacker, we're all used to that. We're living in the dirt, we're hiking and carrying our stuff in, that kind of thing. That's, that's no big deal for us. We've been doing it forever. So to go from there to climbing is, is great because you, you hike in, you carry your stuff in, you go as lightweight as possible, and then you set up. And the only difference is that you, you climb. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you've done any somewhat technical backpacking, then in your, you know, you're, you're partway there already. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's a question for you. Have you ever spent the night on a portal ledge? I've not yet, but my climbing partner and I are talking about it. It's a fairly technical ordeal to like bring up a hall because you can't carry a portal ledge on your back. For anybody who's not familiar, sorry, I know this is the backpacking ground. We're getting very climby, but uh, we, we, we cover a lot of ground. So, you go, oh, cool, awesome. Yeah, we're good. So, so for anybody who's not familiar with the portal ledge, basically, it's a it's kind of like a tent that mounts on the side of a wall. And when you're doing multi pitch climbing over multiple days, you camp on a wall hundreds to thousands of feet above the ground. And I've not done it yet, but I'm really interested in doing it at some point. It's a lot more technical because you can't, you can't just carry that on your back when you're climbing. It's just, it's just impossible. So you have this thing called a haul bag, this giant bag, and you have to have certain, certain types of pulleys, uh, micro-traction devices, they call them, to pull it up with you. After, so you climb and you get to a certain point and then you haul up the haul bag and you have, there's a whole safety you know, a, a ton of stuff you have to do to make sure that you're being safe because if that bag falls and it's attached to you and something goes wrong, it could pull you off the wall. It could break all your protection. Bad things can happen. So I need to learn a lot more about that. My partner and I are, uh, are talking about getting into that. We will, we'll do it at some point knowing him and I, it's weird. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but like when you're backpacking together, you have your own space, right? Mm -hmm. You have your tents in different areas. And when, when one of you guys has to go or girls, has to go like use the potty, you go off and do your thing. That's right. When you're on a portal edge, you're like, imagine being inside of a two person tent, sorry, smaller than a two person tent with your, your partner. And then saying, Hey, I have to poop. Look the other way. 
<laughs> I'm going to hold this plastic bag and without getting too graphic, do, do my thing in there. And yeah, just plug your nose, look the other way, pretend like, you know, nothing's going on and you have to get it's that's personal man <laughs> like that's that's weird and uh yeah that's that's the only thing i'm really nervous about i don't mind the heights i don't mind the technical aspect of it i i it just sounds weird to poop like right next to somebody <laughs> yes agreed agreed one of the things i point when i asked you about if your wife uh, hiked with you uh, if she still does you know one of the things i like to point out is there's no hiding on the trail i mean you're with somebody 24 7 for days on end in stressful situations and you know who you are is going to come out yep. who she is is going to come out there's no hiding i think that is uh that is elevated exponentially if you're on a portal edge together i mean there is yeah. there's really no hiding no hiding at all yeah but yeah to your you know to first part of your what you were saying there i i totally agree with that and that's something that i do really love about backpacking and climbing ultimately is that all those those surface things are just gone it's like you all smell out there. You're not going to look really pretty. You're tore up. You're stinky. You're smelly. You're greasy. Your hair's messed up. Your breath is probably terrible because you're not bringing a toothbrush like me. And <laughs> like, I, I just love that because you don't, all that surface level stuff is gone. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're just, you are who you are. When you have to poop, you stop. It'll be like, Hey, everybody, I have to poop. And that's weird. We're, I'm, I'm getting into that topic probably too much for this, <laughs> for this podcast. But like, I just love that honesty that happens because it strips all the excess, excess layers away. You could just be a normal person and that inherent honesty that comes with, uh, with backpacking is something I just really appreciate. Yeah, the trail is the great equalizer. Doesn't care if you're living in your mom's basement or if you're living in a New York City high rise. You're out on the trail, you all stink and you're all pooping behind a tree. Yep. Yep. You're all being humbled together. <laughs> I love that. Very good. Okay. Hey, so we, we kind of got into a little bit here about your, your hiking resume. Let's, let's talk about uh, some of the hiking that you've done in your past. Um, I know from watching your films that you've done the JMT, I have. Uh, our, our favorite trail on this podcast, of course, it's the, the John freaking Muir pod. Um, tell us about your experiences out there. When, when did you go and was it to make the film or was it, is it, uh, did you have a couple oh, no. of different trips? Um, so, and I, like I said, I've been backpacking since like 2003, but I first did the John Muir Trail entirely. You know, I've, I've section hiked it a million times in the past, but the first time I did the trail entirely was in 2016. So not that long ago. And uh, it was, I loved it. It was just like an awesome life-changing thing for me. And I brought a camera. I, I didn't know how to use a camera at the time. I just kind of brought a little camera that I, a little point and shoot with me and I brought a GoPro and just kind of captured, I, I don't want to call it footage cause that's, that's glamorizing it too much. <laughs> cause I, like I said, I knew nothing about cameras. I just fired off a couple shots just like anybody else did. And um, I finished that trip and I came home with all these clips, all these video clips and a bunch of still photos. And I wanted to commemorate the trip somehow cause it was such a life changing thing for me. And I sat down and I just started learning how to edit. And then uh, like three months of edit, three or four months worth of editing later, I came out with my first little filmy thing, if you can call it that, more of like a, an elaborate YouTube video uh, called the, the John Muir Trail According to Chris. And that got, you know, a fair amount of attention. And that kind of just got me into it. I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know. And now that I'm a better editor after, you know, that three or four months, then uh, the next one will be easier. And then fast forward to today and I'm doing like 18 month edits and two hour films. <laughs> yeah, I so, have to I have to do a little fanboying right here because that 2016 
video, the John Muir Trail, according to Chris. I came back after my John Muir Trail hike and found that on YouTube. I watched it. I think I even commented on the on the on oh, the cool. video and left a comment, and you responded to the comment. Oh, I did. And, cool. Yeah, Hopefully, I was yeah. nice. <laughs> you were. You were. Awesome. It was great. But that was, you know, that video was was great, and I was I'm surprised to hear that that was your foray into uh, filmmaking, basically, because yeah. the, the music on it, the graphics, the narration. Uh, the gear descriptions. I mean, it was just so well put together. It was incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah, at the time, I was really just, I was working in tech. So I was, an engin- I was a program manager for a, a network security program manager. And then I was, you know, I've been in music for a long time. So yeah, there was that. And then I was the, you know, I was a backpacker. So just kind of mixed together the technical side of me, the musical side of me, and then hiking. And filming was never a thing that I did before. And that just kind of introduced me to it. And it just seemed like a good way to meld all those skill sets together. I guess skill sets, those, ho- those hobbies <laughs> together. Skill sets sounds better though. It makes me sound more sophisticated than I am. It does. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Uh, thank um, you. 2016, which direction did you go? Northbound or southbound? Uh, southbound. Southbound. Sure. And do you remember yeah. the dates of your hike? I think I actually might. I think I started on the 20, August 24th. Okay. 23rd, 24th, something like that. And yeah, yeah, that was, that was a good hike. That was the first time I did the JMT. And that was, like I said, that was definitely a life changing moment for me. I did a bunch of backpacking trips in the past, a bunch of solo trips in the past, but never for that long. And it wasn't that long. I think I was out there for like two and a half weeks or something. Eh, maybe three weeks. Yeah, I guess I was out there for about three weeks by myself. And for the most part, I was kind of steering clear of other people, just kind of being, you know, an introverted dork hiking. And, you know, this, this is going to sound really cheesy and hippie, but I definitely had some like self-reflective moments and, and you know, just st- places that you don't get to in your, in your everyday life mentally, you know, because you got so much going on, you're distra- so distracted by everything else going on. When you're by yourself for that long, you, I feel like you tend to go into a mental space space that you don't typically go into and that definitely happened to me out there and it was also nice to digitally detox and get away from all email and stuff yeah to get to to go into that inner space that you were in for for three weeks i mean how did that transform you what did you notice the change i did it made me think a lot about like i mean eventually i did make some friends on the trail and i did Mm -hmm. talk to people but it definitely made me think about what i was doing in life i don't think i've ever talked about this out life to me out loud too much but yeah I, i've been in like i said I've, I've been in high tech for 20 years before that and uh you know I, I always made pretty good money doing that kind of stuff i was fairly successful in, in that space and it worked and that was that's that was life that that's how you did life I, i'm in the silicon valley doing the thing i'm supposed to be doing and being out there away from all those technologies uh, and just being in the in the wild enjoying that kind of stuff definitely gave me time to rethink all that i'm like am i Am I where I should be? Do I want to do tech all my life? Like, yeah, it's paying the bills really well, but like, do I like it? And maybe I should start entertaining other possibilities, you know? And I think uh, that was kind of the the start of a, a change in my life, which has been a blessing and a curse as well. Cause it's, yeah, it's not easy being a filmmaker. That's for sure. Right. Right. And, and surprise, surprise, you are not the first guest to talk about, you know, that, that change of direction 
that, uh, you know, time out in nature, people are out there sometimes working on things, trying to figure stuff out. Other times they go out there uh, not realizing that they're going to have all this time to think and kind of reflect and a change happen because of, because of that. And, um, you know, we've talked to some people on, on the pod who were working in, you know, mark, big, big time marketing firms and were up for promotions and uh, the hiking bug got a hold of them and took their life in a, in a whole new direction. And it sounds kind of similar to what you're talking about here. I mean, you were in tech, uh, not into filmmaking, basically, and you go out on this, this three week hike in the, in the Sierras and you come back and put this, this video together. And here we are five years later talking about outmersive films and this, <laughs> we're going to be talking about this great project you got coming up, uh, the Alaska project. That sounds pretty exciting. So, I mean, it's just a, a, a huge change over your, your outdoor experiences out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, this, this whole thing has been a, a journey, right? It started off with me just doing silly hiking videos, not taking it serious. And then each project has gotten more and more complex and more serious. And uh, yeah, the Alaska project, this, I, by the way, I think this is, yeah, this is the first podcast I've done since that change. Well, I guess we only made the change like two or three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, so we've been planning the next film for nine or 10 months at this point. Like uh, we've been putting a, a serious amount of effort, you know, my group and I out immersive and so much planning, so much has gone into us, like so many details. You wouldn't believe how much goes into it. Like we have a planning PowerPoint deck that we've been working on. And it's like, I think it's up to like 90 pages now, 90 slides of stuff we're going through and planning. And all of a sudden we got uh, some rough news, which is that the regulations for COVID in, so, Sorry, the film was supposed, the next film was supposed to be shot in Iceland. It was called the Iceland Project. We had the person picked out who had a very incredible life story who was going to be the subject of the film. And Iceland was going to be the backdrop. We had planned everything there. And then uh, the COVID regulations there changed on, uh, in late February. And it really was not good for us. Um, yeah, basically, you have to quarantine for a long period of time when you get there. And if you're like a, a huge studio and you have millions of dollars, it's no big deal to have your crew quarantine for that long, but there's going to be eight of us like shooting this thing. And for us to afford eight people hanging out in a quarantine hotel for a week, like before we even get to shoot would just be really, really difficult. And then they wanted to have a, uh, an Icelandic representative with us, which is not a big deal around the city, but when you're out, in the wild for 10 days, it's harder to find that person and it's very expensive. And yeah, between that and then a volcano erupting over there, which That's you may right. have seen on the news, mm-hmm. that, that was a very easy decision to be like, okay, <laughs> Iceland is beautiful. We would love to go there, but it's not going to happen. So we're going to switch this to Alaska instead. And it turns out that Alaska kind of matches the story a little bit better anyways. The story's really about this woman named Tara, who's like very, very fascinating, had a very crazy life, like a very not normal life. And the the events in her life really kind of parallel well to a lot of the landscape and a lot of the, the things that you run into in Alaska. So it's it's kind of hard to describe, but basically Alaska is a better fit for the story overall. So now the the Iceland project has now become the Alaska project, which is just a working title until until we come up with a, a more permanent name. But for now, we're calling it the Alaska Project. I, I was going to ask about the creativity of that title. So, not a lot of creativity in the title. <laughs> Tons of creativity in every single shot, every single scene. We're planning so much out, and 
Yeah, there, I mean, we've planned everything else except for the title. I've never been good with titles, and I think a lot of people in my group are not that great at titles. I'm sure maybe they're good at titles. I don't know. With our last film, Highline, I'm not really happy with the title of that film, but we just couldn't think of anything better. You know, it seems like all the, the hiking related titles are taken you know it's like oh lost in the wild or whatever in the wild and something lost horizons in the wild like i feel like they're all taken or they're or they're cliche and i just i haven't been able to come up with anything new so if if any listeners out there have any really good titles for a film about a a person who had a crazy life story which is being very vague post somewhere or wait this is a podcast but basically, send us a message. Send a message to Immersive with, with title ideas, and we will uh, appreciate you very much for that because we could definitely, definitely use ideas for that. Fantastic. And if all goes well with the shoot, when do you think uh, the Alaska project might come out? Uh, well, it's, it's going to it better go well. <laughs> we're, we're uh, you know, all the plane tickets, plane tickets are booked. We've, we've got everything set up. Uh, we're going to start shooting officially June 13th, and then uh, we're going to do yeah basically if all goes well august 2022 the film will be out on amazon and all the major platforms pretty much everybody except for netflix because they're too cool for us they're too big we're not we're too little for netflix you have to be like really cool for them and we're just not that cool uh, but they amazon don't, they don't know amazon what Voodoo and all the stuff we're good on they don't know what they're missing <laughs> Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to pick back up with uh, some more stories from the JMT and some other experiences that Ashram has been involved with. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. The John Freakin' Muirpot is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence-inspiring education that empowers outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance and durability enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident in. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultralight. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Asham, also known as Chris Smead from Outmersive Films. And uh, back to the JMT a little bit. Um, so the first time back in 2016, that was the inspiration and uh, for your film 
the John Muir Trail, uh, according to Chris. And then you've, you've also gone out on a more recent uh, trip to the JMT. I did, yeah. Uh, in actually, I think it was July or August, July of this year. So, or sorry, 2020. Uh, so pretty recent. I went out there and I did it again, but I did it a little bit differently than the normal. I took a lot of like side routes, a lot of like lesser known trails and some off trail stuff. So I basically paralleled the trail. So I, I started in Yosemite and I ended at Mount Whitney. Well, just south of Mount Whitney. I actually ended at Cottonwood. But uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a little more adventurous because you know the GMT gets a lot of people on it. Which is, which is funny because, you know, I'd planned to do it because I wanted to stay clear of the people, just kind of be off on my own. But because it was COVID times, there wasn't many film, there wasn't many uh, permits out there. So there wasn't a lot of hikers out there. So even on the John Muir Trail proper, there was like barely anybody. So I picked a weird, weird time of year to do this or weird year to do this. But yeah, I basically just started Yosemite-ish and then headed down south of Mount Whitney. And I think I did about 200 and, I don't know, 70, 260 miles or so. Uh, about half of which were not on the JMT exactly. Um, you know, a lot of weird side trails people haven't heard of. A lot of trails that were not really well groomed and mm-hmm. uh, not well traveled, which was fun. It was kind of cool to see different different sites and get out there. And yeah, it was it was harder than I expected because I I'd planned like you know, I think I planned I budgeted like eighteen mile days for the most part, and there was days where I was only doing like thirteen, fourteen. The train was just too rough. And when you're off trail, it's a very different animal, right? You're just, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to haul up over some mountain pass and just hopping over boulders and stuff. And that definitely slows you down quite a bit. So despite the fact that I've been on 90 plus backpacking trips, I feel like I learned something every time. Mountains are very a humbling place. Yeah. Absolutely. Any, any side trails or side trips that you could recommend that uh, are just off the John Muir Trail proper? I did Lake Italy, which was really pretty. And that used to, that was on the maps as like a pretty established looking trail. But when I got out there, there was, there's not really any trail at all. Yeah. <laughs> that I, was, I, I remember vividly the sign that says, you know, Lake, Lake Italy with, you know, the arrow pointing off. I, yep. I, would, I would expect that'd be a, an established trail. You'd think so. And yeah. uh, about halfway between the John Muir trail and that intersection to Lake Italy, the trail fizzes. And it's like, probably half in half out and then once you get past lake italy and go over italy pass there's there's nothing you're just boulder hopping the whole way i think it used to be a good trail maybe 20 plus years ago but now it's just gone mm-hmm. all the avalanches and all, all the weathering that happens up there i think just knocked it out so it's it's pretty adventurous pretty fun really pretty it was it was funny how pretty it was yet how you know how few people were out there so yeah yeah, I would say I definitely recommend that. And I, I did some more popular stuff too. You know, I went through like the Minarets area, mm-hmm. hit a lot of those lakes over there too. And that was really cool. Technically, that was part of the Sierra High route that I was on there. And that was definitely worthwhile. So totally recommend right. that. Okay. Now, when you were talking about doing a, a trail parallel to the John Muir Trail and, and uh, you know, just staying away from the well-trafficked trail, it reminded me of a previous interview I did with Jeff Hester from... Um, uh, he's a creator of the six pack yeah. challenge. Yeah, I know and, Jeff. Yeah. SoCal yeah. hiker. Yeah. Yeah. SoCal hiker. That's what I was, that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, he did the Theodore Solomon's trail. Have you, are you familiar with that? I'm very familiar with it. I actually entertained the idea briefly about doing a film on, on that. Didn't really come together. You know, it seems like a cool trail. I'm, I'm definitely going to do it at some point, but yeah. Yeah. He was telling me that 
apparently they created that trail to kind of re-divert some of the traffic from the GMT back exactly. in like the late seventies or I don't, yeah. I don't know, a long time ago. And that was kind of shocking because now there's way more traffic on the GMT than there was then. And the Theodore Sullivan's trail is still largely unknown to most people. Right. I, I heard it's really pretty. I heard it's cool, but I heard it's like not as epic as the GMT. So that's why I haven't done it yet. I'll get there eventually, but I heard it's just kind of, you know, don't tell him I said that. He, he's a big fan of the trail. He's probably watching this right now. It's our, it's our secret. Jeff, tune out, tune out uh, for this part. Thanks. No, no, Jeff's an awesome guy. Yeah, he's, he's doing a lot of good out there for the outdoor community. So. Agreed. You know, he and Jason Fitzpatrick do a podcast together. And I had Jason Fitzpatrick on the, on the pod here. We're talking about mile, mile and a half. And he's actually the one who kind of facilitated our introduction. So. Awesome. Yeah. Jason's a great guy. He was actually a huge inspiration to me. He was kind of like my hero for a long time. Still is in a way. Like pretty much I was this, this kid like pinging him, like saying, Hey, like using a GoPro and I'm going on hikes and stuff. Like, you know, do you, do you recommend anything? And he was like, how serious are you? You know, and, and if, if you are, here's a bunch of stuff you should get. And it was like, ex- like nice camera gear. I'm like, okay. So I got into that and started getting into the heavy uh, camera work. And he warned me, he warned me very, very well. He's like, it's a ton of work. You have to be somewhat masochistic to do this. There's no money and it's going to be hell, but it'll be fun. So go for it if you want to do it, if you're crazy enough. And sure enough, I was crazy enough to do it. But everything, every bit of advice that guy gave me though was 100% correct. So yeah. thank you. Thank you, Jason, for uh, giving it to me straight. <laughs> top notch guy, top notch. Hey, and I always like to hear from our, our John Muir Trail hikers what their, their favorites are. So let's do a, an impromptu top five list. Uh, what are your top five, top five favorite spots on the John Muir Trail, whether it's campsites, whether it's vistas, lakes, you get to pick which five moments you want to talk about. Uh, definitely. There's a spot, a secret spot. That's not going to be so secret. Uh, a spot near Mount Whitney and Mount Hitchcock between those two. That's I'm going to be somewhat vague. That's kind of like my spot. It's not my spot, but it's a spot that like, I, I really appreciate a lot. I thought it has a really good view of Mount Whitney and you're at the base of Mount Hitchcock. I'm giving you guys too many hints. And from there, it just feels like a, a different planet. It's just like, it's somewhere it's very awesome in the Sierra. And I just, I just really love it. Like both visually and even sonically. Like I noticed like the sound is different there just because you're positioned in this bowl between all these big mountains with no trees. Right. And when you talk, I feel like everything just kind of echoes around in a cool way. And I just really love that. So yeah. Mount Whitney ish area yes. uh, is one of my favorites. And I'm uh, going to chime in just a little bit. I might chime in multiple times. So be patient cool. with me, but uh as you're going up towards Mount Whitney from Guitar Lake, you're measuring your progress against Mount Hitchcock, right? You're going up the switchbacks and you're looking at Mount Hitchcock saying, okay, I'm higher than I was and you're, you're making progress. And that view looking over Hitchcock Lakes and Mount Hitchcock, it's just some of the most superb views you're going to find anywhere. And so I am, I'm not surprised to hear that spot. That's, uh, that's the first time someone has mentioned that as a, as a top five, but I am not surprised. Well it's it's actually I would say it's my number one on the on the JMT yeah. just because okay. you know it's for those people who have hiked Half Dome when you're in Yosemite like when you're on top of Half Dome it's really pretty up there but the, one of the most scenic things in Yosemite Valley is Half Dome and if you're on top of it you can't see it so I feel like the best view in Yosemite is actually North Dome which is on the other side where you could see Half Dome same applies the same methodology would would apply to my opinions on. Mount Whitney, like being on top of it's cool, but when you're at the base of it in this spot, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it's basically near the Hitchcock Lakes, the base of Mount Hitchcock. That area is so pretty. You're looking up at 
Mount Hitchcock, which is just awesome looking. And then from there, you get this perfect view of Whitney that you don't get from Guitar Lake or from anywhere else really easily. And that's just super pretty. There's nobody there. There will be after people see this. But uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Num- I would say that's my number one. Num- that's probably tied with Forrester Pass. I know Forrester Pass is, you know, a lot of people do that. That's probably passe at this point but it's it's such a beautiful place that every time i go back to forester pass that definitely blows me away and have you have you gone over forester pass when it hasn't been hailing or thunder and lightning because i've been I'm, over it twice and that's that's been my experience i've been over forester four or five times now and and we had lightning once okay. i had good weather all the other times if i remember right my, my son's middle name is actually forester after that pass so that's, that's how right. much i that's, that's right. how much i like it yep yeah it's just so cool because when you come over the top it's like this giant wall you know it's just cool to like be looking south and to your left you have this huge wall to the right you have this huge wall it just feels like you're at mordor or something something out of like lord of the rings i don't know it just feels like cg it doesn't feel real mm-hmm. so i like that a lot so i guess that's my number two Ray Lakes is obviously one of my favorites. It's getting more crowded these days. Some people might blame me for that, <laughs> for, the, for the film. But, you know, it's a popular place anyways. Mm-hmm. But Ray Lakes is definitely beautiful. Um, what, what is that, three? I need That's to three. Two, two more. Three, I need two more. Ooh. Surely you can pick two more from the, from the Sierras. Lake Virginia is pretty. I really like that area. Um, what else is cool? Hmm. Oh man, I gotta think of one more. Oh, sorry. You probably gave me notes on this. I was supposed to think of it beforehand, but I didn't read them entirely. Um, <laughs> what else is cool? Oh, oh, Mather. Mather Pass is beautiful. Love Mather. Good pass. Yeah, especially if you're going if you're going southbound, uh, you have to get to Mather by going up the Golden Staircase and then up over you know uh, through the Palisades Lakes area, mm-hmm. and it's. I always think that after the most, when you do the most strenuous work, that's when you have the the best views. And maybe it's because of the work you put in and you, you kind of earn those views. That's why, that's why they're favorites. But yeah, it's funny. Like I, I did Mather for the first time when I first did the JMT in 2016 and I wasn't in the best shape then, you know, it's kind of like whatever. And I'm like, Oh, the gold staircase. That wasn't that hard. That's cool. And then I did it again in 20, you know, like I said, in July, late July, I think it was 2020. And I'm in better shape now. And I get out there, I was dying. I barely got up that thing. I'm like, I'm stronger now. I should be, I should be able to do this easier. I think I'm just feeling my age or something. But like when I finally got to the top of Mather, I was like barely able to move. I was like, Ugh. I think I made it another like three miles or something. And I just had to set up camp and pass out. <laughs> yeah. And here's, here's some insight for, for our listeners out there who have not yet done the golden staircase. There are many false tops to the golden staircase. Yes. You get to a point point, you're thinking, okay, it's just over this, it's just over this Ridge. We're almost there. And you get to that Ridge and there is, there is more to go more. To, it happens like four or five times. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. I think I wasn't eating enough food that day too. I don't know what was wrong. I'm st- I, I keep reflecting on that like that day. I'm like, why was that day so hard? It doesn't make sense, but it was really hard. I think I think that just kind of happens on the trail. Sometimes you have good days. Sometimes they're a little harder, but in the end, it's all cool. Absolutely. Bad day of hiking is better than a, a great day at work. You're absolutely 100% correct. I totally <laughs> agree with that. All right. Now you've done a lot of other backpacking as well, not just in the Sierras, but you've been to all kinds of other states. What are, what are some some highlights? Yeah, I've hiked all around. I've hiked everywhere from like Alaska to like Colorado, tons of 
you know, a bunch in Utah and Oregon. And I actually even backpacked in Florida. Did you know that you, you could actually backpack in Florida? <laughs> well, I, I learned that there's a, a thing called the Florida trail. So there is, yeah, yeah, I did a, I did a 60, I think it was a 60 mile section with the guys from Z packs out there. Super fun. Cool. It is, it is exactly what you would expect though. It's not like any other backpacking I've done in my life. It was just like flat, like you don't move. It's, it, there's no, you're, you're not going up even 20 feet. You're, you're at the same level the entire time. It's weird because your muscles wear differently. I'm so used to to normal quote unquote backpacking that I was used to that kind of impact on my body. But in Florida, you're, it's so flat that like my ankles were hurting a lot and my ankles never hurt. But for some reason out there, it was just, I think, I think it was a repetitive motion of like just being on this flat ground for that long. That was mm-hmm. really impacting me. You're wading through swamps quite a bit, a lot actually. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting cool but uh so on the john muir trail you have to bring a bear canister on the florida trail do you need to bring a gator canister i i I did not bring a gator canister but that's uh (laughs) maybe i should (laughs) have did you see any gators out there i mean i would hate to be you know just having a a z-pax tent between me and a gator (laughs) i did not see any gators uh one of the guys had to had to bail if I remember right, because he had like a back issue and he was camping by himself one night and he said something did run up to his tent. And he wasn't sure what it was. Maybe it was an alligator or maybe it was, I don't know who, who knows. It was Florida. It could have been anything. Could have been some, I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I hiked over in Florida and I hiked in Wyoming and, you know, I just did uh not too long ago, I did the wind river route over there in the, in Wyoming, which was beautiful. Love that place. Uh, myself and uh, Steve from, from High, if you saw my film Highline, Steve, uh, me and him and my, my climbing partner, Jason, all hiked over there. And that was, that was a really good, fun, adventurous trip. Very Sierra-like over there. A little, little more adventurous, I would say. But yeah, I, I really liked it. I would like to go back there again someday. Yeah, I've heard some really great things about the Wind River route. Yeah, picture the Sierra, but a little bit more adventurous, uh, crazier, you know, more erratic weather even. And moose is everywhere. Moose, moose eye, moose. How do you, what's plural moose? Moose. I, I would go with meese. You go goose, geese, moose, meese. I don't know. Meese. Yeah. So lots meese. of meese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was really cool. We did a lot, you know, it's more of a route versus a trail. So for the most part, we were just kind of scrambling over mountain passes. And there's, there was actually a couple, I think two different sections where we were doing class five. And if you don't have climbing experience and you're carrying a backpack, that can make you a little bit nervous. Not too bad. But you have some exposure. There's points where, like, if you had slipped, if you weren't holding on tight enough to the rock, you could fall, like, 50 feet. I remember I was pulling up Steve. Steve's not a fan of heights. And, uh, yeah, I remember holding his hand, and he's looking at me. He's like, don't let go, man. Don't let go. I'm, like, holding his hand. I'm like, you're fine. You'll be okay. And I'm looking behind him. There's, like, 50 feet of exposure. And I'm like, if I let go right now, like, uh, I just obviously didn't, I didn't tell him that at the time. But in the back of my head, I was thinking, like, oh, well, this is this could actually be a problem if it, if he fell. So that's not something you typically get in the Sierra. I don't think. <laughs> wow. That's, that sounds nuts. Yeah. That's fun. All right. Hey, let's transition to, uh, out films. Yep. And one of the first things I want to ask you is the story behind the name of out because I, 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 you know, it's outside and you're immersed in the outside. So out that makes, that makes total sense to me. And it really, I think characterizes what's going on out there, but who came up with that? And, and uh, what's the story behind the name? I think you pretty much summed it up, but yeah, when I, I, 
so after I did the JMT in 2016, I started really considering the idea of getting more and more involved in this whole video production thing, storytelling about, you know, telling stories while backpacking uh, through film and started getting more and more into that. And at first I wasn't taking it too seriously. I called it Chris's Awesome Productions because that's exactly how serious I was taking it. And then more people came into the picture and, uh, you know, Chris's Awesome Productions didn't quite as, you know, ring resonate well when you got other people involved. So we had to think of other names. We had all sorts of names. We we had, we probably have a list of like a hundred different names. We went through all of them. And by the time we would pick one and the domain would be taken or somebody else had the Facebook account or whatever. And it was just this big ordeal. I'm like, maybe we should just fake a name. We'll make up our own name, make up, make up a word that's not even real. And then it'll be available. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I came up with the idea of, you know, immerse. So, so part of the criteria was you know, we're, we're trying to immerse people into the outdoors through film, but it's outside. So it's not like immersing them. It's like outmersiving them. So it's outmersive. Get it? You know, and it just kind of worked. And like, I remember the first response I got from my friend, Jason, who was helping me with outmersive. He was like, that's not even a real word, Chris. Like you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> and we ended up sticking with it and the domain was open. All the, all the social media accounts were open and, it just kind of stuck. So that's outmersive for you. And today we've grown. There's about, I don't even know how, I think there's eight of us, nine of us. There's nine of us now, I believe. They're kind of part of this loose collective of outmersive. Maybe we're at 10 now. Double actually, digits. Double yeah, digits. We, yeah, we recently kind of brought in another guy. It's more, like I said, we're more of a loose collective. Um, but I don't know if you've heard of Explore More Films. Um, Chris Abbey, he's the actually the grandson of Edward Abbey. He does a bunch of really, really good quality films out there. And he was doing his thing and I was doing my thing. And he showed up to the premiere of Highline that we did in, in Utah and we got to chat. And yeah, he was talented. So I you know, asked him to be part of the next Alaska project. So he's now involved. So basically it's snowballing. We're just kind of growing and growing. And while we're still not making much money, it's, it's a passion thing. So we're doing it anyways. So it's cool. It's, it's right. worth the effort. Right. Now, Outmersive, made up word, the domain was available, all the uh, social media was available. And, you know, surprisingly, John freaking Muirpod, that was not taken by anybody. So I just kind of stumbled into that. So, yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's cool. By the way, have you had Robert Hanna on your show? You should have him on then. That makes sense. I am writing him down right now. Tell me about Robert Hanna. Oh, man. Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah, he's, he's friends with Jason Fitzpatrick and stuff. Robert Hanna actually has his own uh, he's, he's got his own podcast, who's competition, but he's the great, great grandson of John Muir. So. Oh, he did tell me about uh, Robert Hanna and I did send him a message and I've, I've not heard oh, back. Cool. I'm going to ask Jason, maybe he could follow up with him. But um, in terms of outdoor podcasts, I know there's a lot of outdoor podcasts, but I don't consider any of them competition. I hope they don't consider me competition. We're all just, you know, <laughs> obsessed with you know cool outside stuff and there's not a lot of money to be made in in outdoor podcasts anyway so no one's getting rich in this deal i've noticed that about the outdoor community in general it's like unless if you're a gear manufacturer you're doing pretty well financially but like anybody else in the outdoor community in the outdoor like space period is just there's, there's just no money in it so really you're just like a community you're just trying to you're just friends it's all friendly you're being cool with each other it's not like you know my podcast is better than yours or my film is better than yours it's not how it works maybe if we were really maybe if we were all corrupted with money it would be better <laughs> but since we're since we're all starving we're not actually making real money then yeah it's 
We're just a community. We're just a bunch of people. (laughs) That's right. Does Outmersive have any sponsors? Uh, yeah, we have a bunch of sponsors, uh, for it's, it's really by project. We don't have any big ongoing sponsors, but per film, we tend to get sponsors. And this one, we've got uh, a number of sponsors. So we've got Tamron lenses is a good sponsor. We've got a bunch of mental health, uh, a couple of mental health related sponsors for the Alaska project because the Alaska project is going to be very mental health focused. And the, the subject of the film who has a crazy life story, uh, she's actually a mental health expert. She's a certified therapist so um yeah so we're getting some support from them uh who else do we have uh evergreen adventure foods just joined us the other day they're sponsoring food for stuff and uh goose feet gear who's been with us since the beginning is, is also sponsoring so if you haven't heard of goose feet gear you should check them out like the lightest cool stuff ever i'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor they're they're friends too and uh they're just a great company and and everything that they've made is has been awesome i i've i purchased three jacket three parkas from them that I purchased with my own money and love them. And I've been using them for um, a decade now. And yeah, so far I still love them. Can't beat them with anything else. So yeah, I, I saw that on your website and uh, I was going to ask if I could drop your name as I, as I reached out to them to, to make a jacket. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Ping, them, ping Ben. It, they're, they're a small company. It's like Ben and then he's got a few people that help. Him are they going to charge me more if I drop your name? <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> no i honestly I, I think that a lot of businesses out there have been suffering quite a bit from covid like yeah. the last hiking season ended i mean it was cut short so all those people that were going to buy a tent or a parka or a jacket didn't know if they were going to have a job or they were on furlough at the time and they didn't know if they're going to be able to go backpacking because of all the quarantine regulations i know in some other states it's you know, you're allowed to do that in california it was locked down pretty darn hard mm-hmm. like all they closed all the national forests and stuff and it was so rough i think it just wrecked a lot of businesses so all those all that gmt traffic all the pacific crest trail traffic just ended and people like Goose Feet Gear like really really suffered from that. One of our one of our sponsors for Highline that was a, a pretty big sponsor for us was Blackrock Gear, and Blackrock Gear is gone. They're like totally they don't exist anymore, and that was just really sad to hear. And there's I know there's a lot of other companies that are hurting. So basically, if you care about these businesses and you want them to be around, like do your best to support them if you can. I mean, obviously there's people that are still financially suffering because of COVID or just 2020 in general. But if you have the means and you want to support a business, I definitely recommend supporting some of these small businesses like Goose Feet, like Evergreen Adventure Foods, like Z-Packs, like all these places. Good people, good friends. Yep. Well said. Now we've been trying to drum up uh, some sponsors here on the the John Freaking Mirror Pod. We reached out to Six Moon Designs, Z-Packs, Thermarest, App Gear Co. Not a lot of response. Um, so, you know, we'll take anybody, you know, Sally's Cakes or, you know, Bobby's Dog Walking. <laughs> if, if you're listening out there and you want to, you want your name mentioned here on the podcast, just, just reach out to me. We'll, we'll make it happen. It's hard. The sponsor stuff is, is not easy. I think every time people see that we're sponsored, they're like, oh man, you must be making like tons of money. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you think about it, look at the, look at the math, like say Z-Packs, say they were going to give us like, why would they give us like say we say we do a movie and there's a bunch of people well highline didn't have a lot of the z-pax guys in it but their tents all over the movie their logos all over the movie are they going to make that much money from it from us they're going to make some extra they're, it's going to help their business a bit but they're not going to make a million dollars they're not even going to make a hundred thousand dollars extra they won't even make any of that so why would they pay us that much it doesn't make any sense it's it i think it's good to be kind of like level-headed and and when it comes to that kind of stuff because it's easy to let it 
yeah, it's easy to get the idea of sponsorship and uh, think that you're going to do really, really well financially. And it's just not the case with the outdoor market. Yeah. Unless you're like Alex Honnold or something. That's a different story. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Eric Larson on an episode. He is the, he's the polar explorer who was at the South Pole, North Pole, and the top of Mount Everest in one calendar year. Wow. And, you know, he was doing, he, at, at the time he was doing talk shows, you know, the Johnny Carson show, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and, and other, wow. other shows. He sank down to my level to do the, the podcast here, but uh, he told me that it took him about 10 years to get his first sponsor. So that's what I keep telling Mrs. Doc that, you know, you know just eight more years of, of this uh, podcast and then maybe we'll, we'll drum up a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all about what you can bring to the, to the table from them too. It's like, yeah. by having your name, are you cool enough? Are you well-known enough that the second that some company find, you know, people realize that you are associated with some company that they're going to start buying that company's products. Is their product going to fly off their shelves because they know that because you're associated or, or is that not going to happen? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a humbling space to be in, but <laughs> being humble is good, right? You're right. It's a community. It's a community. It is. No it really one's is. getting rich out here. Yeah. Unless you're Honnold. That's right. Unless, Unless you're cool. Honnold. Yeah. Yep. Hey, let's talk about a couple of your films that you've made with Outmersive. Uh, I know sure. that you've got the High Sierra Trail and also mm-hmm. Highline that you've referenced a, a couple of times. Tell us a little bit about the content of those. Uh, yeah, so the first distributed film I did was High Sierra Trail. I did that in 20... When did that come out? 2018? I think 2018 we, 2018. we released that. Mm-hmm. And that was a 39-minute film. Myself and my friend John, uh, it's about us backpacking in the Sierra on the High Sierra Trail, hence the name. And yeah, that was probably like a good transitional film because it was like me getting more serious about the production and the uh, business side of it. And, uh, but it was also like me not being serious. I'm in the film. So if that says anything like, (laughs) so yeah, it's myself and my friend, John, just kind of screwing around. So it's like half like slapstick. And then we had a park ranger in that film who had a lot of cool, you know, stories to tell about the Sierra Nevada. So it dives heavily into the history realm, which was new for us at the time. And uh, that was kind of a good segue into the next film that I did, which was Highline. So Highline, by the time Highline came around, uh, we had grown quite a bit. And we did, we released Highline in early 2020. And that was an 18 month edit, a very, very long edit for a two hour film and a big beast of a film. And that was my first film that really got pretty serious because it goes into the stories. It goes into you know, the fun of being in the outdoors, it goes into, you know, kind of the fun antics that happen between the people when they're out there and the history of the trail. But it also something that was new was it actually got into the personal stories of the hikers themselves. And those stories were at times pretty heavy. And that was, that was new for me. And that was, uh, that was pretty cool. I, that was interesting to like, cause you feel kind of like the sense of responsibility when you're telling a personal story, when they're like spilling their guts. And I think that was kind of a good, um, uh, push to to make things as high production as high quality production wise as as possible to really do their story justice and yeah so highline you know it premiered uh we did the premiere in january early or sorry late january of 2020 before things started getting getting crazy with covid and we didn't know if anybody was going to show up and we're like let's just try to get like 100 people there and then 400 people showed up and then it was just sold out screening after sold out screening after sold out screening. We were like rock stars. We just felt like so cool. We're like flying around the country and it, it was doing great. And then COVID shut it down very, very suddenly. And that was a big bummer, but you know, safety first. Right. 
And uh, the film, you know, is doing pretty well online. I think the Amazon reviews are up to like 400 something and then mostly positive. So it's, despite being an indie film, it's, it's kept a very, very good rating. And then I know outside TV just purchased the film from our distributor. So how exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. It's doing pretty well. We're not like, we're definitely not making major money, but uh, it's, it's getting some good attention, which is a good, uh, good thing to have on the resume for, for the Alaska project, the next film that we're working, we're working right. on, which is going to be a big leap forward in terms of production value. Right. Now I've got a suggestion for you, just an idea, crazy idea. Cool. And if, if, if anything comes of it, I just, I just want a little credit in the, in the, you know, the end credits somewhere. Thank you to okay. talk or whatever. <laughs> have you ever read the last season? I have. I love that book. Yeah. That talked, is so good. I talked to Eric Blem uh, on the oh, pod. He's got, nice. an episode, he's got an episode coming out. He was fantastic to talk to. His, his, just reading that book and talking to him about, you know, what, into, what went into making that book was just incredible. And your love of the Sierras and you're feeling at home in Sierras and your, you know, your storytelling. I mean, I think that'd be a, an outstanding project. Just a suggestion, just my two cents. It is, you know, it's funny. It's, it's actually, it's on the list. Uh, it, it, sorry, it was on the potential list. You know, we've always got like this running list of like potential projects. And that was one of the ones on there. Yeah, there, we were worried about like some legal stuff with that. Like how many, anyways. But yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great story. It was a very, very good book. I highly recommend it. And Eric Blum did a, a very good job at writing that book. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, actually, the the person in charge of uh, public correspondence during that time during when that situation happened when randy went missing mm-hmm. was uh the guy from was the park ranger from the high seer trail that i did so i got to hear some of the backstory from him so that was pretty cool incredible yep incredible story so work yeah, good suggestion though yeah work thanks <laughs> where can our listeners or our viewers find the high seer trail or highline uh, they're both available on Amazon. Highline's also on a bunch of other platforms. Uh, pretty much, if you just go to outmersivefilms.com, don't worry, it's not some crazy website with a bunch of billion different links all over it. It's, it's fairly simple in, in your face. Uh, there's links to the High Sierra Trail or to Highline on there. And then you can also learn about our next project, the Alaska Project, and kind of track that as it passes. And of course, they could follow Outmersive on social media. We're on the... Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, a bunch of other places. Okay, very good. And after the Alaska project, what's what's next for Osham? Any other hiking We're, trips or climbing trips up coming up upcoming? Um, definitely. Uh, just as far as just like hiking or or just outdoorsy stuff. We're talking about films. Uh, I'm talking about outdoorsy stuff. I think there's something okay. in Wyoming that is. Uh, upcoming. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My climbing partner and I are talking about climbing a Devil's Tower in Wyoming. So if you ever saw. What's that movie called? Uh, Close, Encounters Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yeah. yeah, right. So that cool tower, we're going to climb that. There's a, there's a route that's within our climbing grade. And we're going to go up there and do it. It's going to be super fun. It's like, I think it's only like seven pitches. So it'll be like, it'll be a long day of being on the rock, but it'll be super fun. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. We're talking about, we were going to try to do it this month, but it's kind of tough because I got the Alaska project planning stuff that's pretty heavy and, and stuff. So we're probably going to do that. We'll definitely do it this year. I'm just not mm-hmm. exactly sure when. But. Can, we, can we count on a, a YouTube video or an outmersive film on the Devil's Tower? No. Yeah, probably, probably not going to film that one. Yeah, but we, we may at some point, we're talking, yeah, probably, probably late tw- later in 2022, we are talking about maybe diving into some climbing-related film stuff um, while still being true to the backpacking area as well. 
Does that make sense? It does. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to give away the, the project a little bit, but um, yeah, we don't know. We're, we're still throwing around ideas. We'll see, but it'll be cool. Okay. That very was great. If it's coming big. from immersive, it's definitely going to be cool. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Hey, Asha, we know where we are. Where are we? We are at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. What little tip, trick, piece of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience that much more awesome? Oh, man. Oh, should I? Pro tip. Uh, let's see. Uh, lighter's better, but you guys already know that. That's not a cool pro tip. Um, man, I feel like all the pro tips are kind of like known, you know? I feel like anything I say that... Oh, I should have read those notes you sent me. <laughs> um, Stoveless isn't that bad. Try it. It's not a big deal. I, I've ditched stove stuff. Uh, I, I, haven't brought, I haven't brought a stove backpacking in a couple of years now, I think. And it's been just fine. So if you want to try to save weight and do that, it's fine. Go for it. Salami right. and cheese inside of a tortilla. Tastes pretty good. Go okay. So not necessarily cold soaking, but other, other types of stuff? Or do you cold soak as well? I don't cold soak. Um, seems kind of weird to me. I should probably try it, but I just haven't. But uh, yeah, I've just been doing salami and cheese and stuff like that for a while. And actually, okay. I'm sorry, I do I do cold soak a little bit, kind of. Packet Gourmet has some a couple meals. They have this one called Margarita Pizza. And if you just add cold water to it and wait like 15 minutes, I know that that's not like an all-day cold soak, but it's kind of a cold soak. But you take that and throw it inside of a tortilla, it tastes kind of like pizza and it works, but yeah, for, for Alaska, I'm going to be bringing Evergreen Adventure Foods, and they make way better stuff. I'm, I'm actually going to bring a stove for the first time in a long time, just for that, just because I want to have some real food out there when it's, you know, when you're in Alaska and you're getting chewed on by a grizzly bear, you might as well have a good last meal. <laughs> trivia, trivia time. What is which is the more deadly, more deadlier? What is the deadlier animal in Alaska, the moose or the grizzly? I've heard the moose. But I'm still more nervous about the Grizzlies. <laughs> yes, I, I, I have the same opinion. I, I know that the, the more people are killed by, by moose, mooses, um, but those claws and teeth of a grizzly. I've, I've actually, I actually backpacked part of the Iditarod Trail in Alaska. And this is a while back. And we came across a moose. We got pretty close. We were probably within 40 feet of this, 40 or 50 feet of this moose. And I'm like, oh, wow, a moose. And it was like looking at us and like waving its antlers. And I'm like, oh, he's saying hi. You know, and I found out later that that waving of the antlers means that they're about to kill you. And I'm glad I learned that after the fact because that would have been pretty freaky at the moment. But at the time, I'm like, oh, he's just waving hi. And then he walked away. But yeah, yeah, I, I've definitely heard that moose can stomp you. It seems like it wouldn't be a big deal. It seems like you could just like sidestep or like get away from them. But apparently it's it's not that easy. So yeah. yeah. All the cartoons. I mean, you should be able to get away from the moose. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's it. This bonus episode for season two is in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Asham. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Chris, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media? You kind of gave us a rundown already, but maybe just a reminder and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah, all, they can follow us on uh, follow Outmersive, O-U-T-M-E-R-S-I-V-E. Did I spell that right? I did. Outmersive on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I think we're on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and then outmersivefilms.com has links to everything. So if you don't want, if you want to remember all the stuff, just go to outmersivefilms.com and you're good. 
Very good. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have comments or clips or sponsorships uh, you want to you wanna, uh, send our way, you can send it to me at johnfreakamira at gmail.com. Chris, I'm also looking to you, to you to share a recommendation for a book or a movie or a documentary, some type of adventure media to help keep our listeners connected to the outdoors. Any, any recommendations out there other than, I'm, I'm just going to stipulate that they should watch all of the outmersive stuff, but is there anything else out there <laughs> that uh, you could point in their direction? I, if you're just, if you're a backpacker, I highly recommend a mile, mile and a half, which I'm sure most people have already seen before by, by Jason Fitzpatrick and, and his crew, uh, the Mirror Project. Great movie, really just fun, friendly movie. I, I really like that. That really inspired me in a lot of ways. And then um, if you want to get a little bit more weird, more you know, risky, uh, Real Rock. Check out the Real Rock series by Sender Films. They're, they have a lot of cool climbing films that I've been obsessed with lately. It's more climbing, less backpacking, but still a lot of fun. Okay, I wrote that down. Real Rock, R-E-E-L yeah. or R-E-A-L? You got R-E-E-L, Rock. Got it. They come out with a new one every year. Okay. And one last segment that I started, it's called, uh, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me? This is kind of my catch all category. So I don't miss anything. Uh, you didn't ask me what my favorite animal was. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite animal? Is it a moose? It's a squirrel. Squirrels are awesome. Beavers are cool, but squirrels are better. Just saying. Okay. Very good. Now we know a little, a little awesome trivia for it for us out there. That's a wrap from the John Freakamere studio. Any shout outs to friends or family, Chris? Um, Hi, friends and family. Thanks for being supportive. Well, thank you for tuning in. And always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if there's a moose waving its antlers to you saying hi. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.